0: If you don't clarify your core values and what you really stand for as a human being, what you really believe, then you're easily manipulated by pithy phrases, (laughs) uh, emotional logic, uh, and you end up voting for things or participating in things that you are like, oops.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith and learn some critical thinking skills along the way. Mm-hmm. Your faith journey is something that you must do on your own. It's not something you can have delivered to your doorstep for you, but instead it is something that you <laughs> can outsource it, baby, Can't outsource it. You can't hire a trainer for it. You have to do it yourself, but the I, best thing you'll ever do, it is the best thing you'll ever do. And we want to come alongside you to encourage you, to challenge you, to entertain you a little bit. and. And to help you learn those critical thinking skills so that you know why you believe what you believe and can defend it when asked. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host and we cannot do the Salty Pastor mm-hmm. podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak.
0: <laughs> Good to be here, everybody. I'm so glad you're listening today. We got a lot to tackle today. I don't know if we'll have time to get through it all. But we're going to try our
1: outline is quite massive. So (laughs) I'm excited to see how quickly or unquickly we cruise through this. So we are tackling our new series, my political Jesus. Um, We are in the third week of it on Tuesday. We talked about our responsibilities as an individual in the political structure, as a Christian, Um, last week, we talked about what the church is supposed to do and what their mission is. And this week we are talking about what we're supposed to do as individuals. And I think Mm -hmm. this is kind of the crux of what a lot of people want to hear about is we've heard about what the church is supposed to do. Um, and then you delineated that we are not the church's mission and our individual missions are different when it comes mm-hmm. to politics and so intertwined, but different intertwined, but different. And yep. we need to decide, discover what we're supposed to be doing, yes. not what the politicians tell us we're supposed to be yes. doing. So pastor Doug take us away. <laughs> what are we doing? It's application day. day. I want to hear it all. Let's
0: get down. Well, let's get specific as a follower of Christ. What is my responsibility as a citizen in America? And I think what happens is you can start answering those questions. Once you clarify your values, it makes it so much easier. First of all, I think number one, the biblical value is we're to submit to the governing authority and in America, that's a constitution. So every person who takes following Jesus seriously in their life should vote. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to go and vote for every single vote that ever exists, you have to (laughs) vote on the dog catcher in a special election. However, you should endeavor if at all possible to vote. You shouldn't uh, discount your vote, discredit your vote, devalue your vote. You shouldn't do any of those things. You should say, if I have means and opportunity, I should vote. I also, that means I need to inform myself based on my core values. I think this is uh, really important because people today tend to shortcut their voting preference to someone they like or mm. someone they, they think And, uh, is, so it's like a celebrity orientation and that's because if you don't clarify your core values and what you really stand for as a human being, what you really believe, then you're easily manipulated by, Pithy phrases, uh, <laughs> emotional logic, uh, and you end up voting for things or participating in things that you were like, oops. And I don't know if you remember, but a long time ago, a couple years ago, you had asked me, well, what do you think about this BLM movement and stuff like that? And I right. said, look. I've been a modern day abolitionist for a long time. I take a real dim view of racism, uh, which my record stands on that and it violates the biblical principle, the core value that we are all created one in Christ. Paul even says this to the Galatians that there is no barbarian or Scythian, meaning there is no ethnic differences. There's no religious differences. We're all one in Christ. So that's a very important thing. And I said, however, BLM is not that. Right. And you were like, okay, I've never heard this before. This is radical. And so I had to explain to people what the Frankfurt school of critical theory was and where it came from and how the leadership of, uh, the BLM movement was steeped in this. And they even said this, you know, that we are modern day Marxists and we're using this to advance our Marxist ideology. And it was like, oh, but all these churches had jumped on the bandwagon Mm. and it was like, Okay. Then afterwards, when all this came out and people started to realize what it really was, a lot of pastors were doing the backstroke. (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm like, well, if you understand your values up front, and if you you don't have to know everything, you have to be Einstein IQ and remember every fact out there to make good decisions because you know your core values. And what'll happen is, is if it doesn't quite ring right, you'll ask yourself, hmm, I wonder why. So we must submit to the governing authorities, vote and be educated voters because our founding fathers said that, said you need to be educated and you need to Practice your civic duty. I read some of those quotes from our founding fathers on Tuesday. Right. Second of all, what happens if you have your society, America, is doing something that's wrong? And because of the way the Constitution is written, it seems to make it permissible. Or when the government does something that violates the Constitution. For instance, if we look back in history, the most famous is a Dred Scott decision when they decided that people who were of the ethnic origin, they were black. uh, They were not allowed full citizenship because they weren't fully human. Okay. This was a total violation of the constitution and it was overturned on constitutional grounds. Right. Right. But more than that, if the constitution allows for something, then it is important to follow. How to change the constitution. This is a, there's a process laid out in the constitution for doing it. So I can submit to the authority of the con- constitution and change it. Cause it actually allows for that. in article five, it's called the amendment process. I don't know if you know that today there are 27 amendments to the constitution of the United States. There have been 33 amendments proposed, voted on Congress, passed by Congress signed by the president at the time. However, not all have been passed. Only 27 have been passed because they must be ratified by a majority of the States, like two thirds of the States and not all of the States have done that. That's why it is a difficult, process. It's intentionally laborious in order to amend the constitution. Okay. But let's talk about the process and how the church historically actually has influenced the amending of the constitution. The one that comes to mind for me is the 19th amendment, giving women the right to vote. Now, if you go in and you study the historical, uh, beginnings of the, it's called the women's suffrage movement, what you will find is it was started in the church. And in the all, there were all these women's societies that cropped up in churches all throughout the United States. They met in church buildings. They met with the uh, blessing and encouragement of the leadership of these local churches. Mm-hmm. And what happened is they started to gather momentum. And then when the 19th amendment was passed and voted on by Congress, it was voted on all, by all men, right? Right. So it's really interesting that, that based on Peter and Paul's admonition of how to do it, they followed their admonition and submitted to the governing authority of how the constitution works. And it ended up resulting in the 19th amendment. So I think that's really important to understand that the reason why we can't even discuss politics today with your neighbor or anybody else is because people, uh, It's become such a toxic thing because people put all their loyalty in a candidate thinking that their guy, their gal is the answer and the cure all. It's like a celebrity that they, they almost worship their candidate, get them in control so they can have all the power instead of putting our loyalty where our founding fathers intended it to be. And that was in the constitution. Not individuals and we don't have a king and we don't have a monarchy. We're not to put our faith in individuals, right? We're to put our faith and hope in the constitution. And I think as we, as Christians, if we start doing that more, then that's going to take a lot of the toxicity out of the division that we have over politics right now.
1: So, I mean, we are really seeing in America right now this toxicity you're talking about, this divisiveness and how no one really ever talks about, well, is it constitutional other than like The lawyers who are trying, you know, the lawyers or the judges are trying to, and that's their, their job. And so it's like, it's all based on preferences and executive orders, which are, you know, out of control these days. Every president increases the amount of executive orders that they're trying to one up each other. And none of, I mean, those technically are part of the constitution, but also kind of not. And it's very weird. And so it's just turned into this big preference game of, I want to shove my ideology through and no one in America and everyone else in America is also going, okay, well, the politicians are running with ahead of the constitution. So we'll just run ahead of the constitution and and we're just going to fight for what we believe in our ideologies and not go back to the, well, is this even part of what we're supposed to be yeah, doing. Yeah. right?
0: Yeah. Which comes back to the notion that we've talked about. This is the result of deconstructionism where words don't have meaning. Right. And since words don't have meaning, then I can shove through whatever I want. And then I can, uh, find a way to rationalize it in the law. I think the thing that's most recent is, uh, president Biden is doing something incredibly unlawful. And that is he's for giving student debt and it's like, okay, so I'm going to, it's been estimated anywhere from $500 billion to one and a half trillion dollars. So he's going to spend upwards of $1 trillion. Simply one man is making this decision. The constitution is written specifically. It was written to not allow that to happen. Right. Their whole reasoning behind it is this, well, the pandemic gives me special powers.
1: It's the, what's the, Phrase I'm looking for basically the in times of emergency I can yes. do whatever I want which is the same thing we've seen in other governments where somebody yeah. takes over during a time of emergency and then just never yeah. ever relinquishes
0: that uh, power. that's right <laughs> they just turn into a dictator yes. well, I still have emergency powers and so that that's what's happening now you if you're a fan of Biden and you voted for Biden you like his policies you have to have enough intellectual integrity to admit that what he's doing is really really bad. Because what happens when the person that you're opposed to on the other side of the aisle gets elected? Because it always goes back and forth. Right. So then that person, site, yeah.
1: The pendulum swings both ways. Wait, this both is,
0: ways. So then that person is going to one up him. Right. And it's well, just. Well,
1: Biden did this. So therefore, it's the same thing with the executive orders. It's yeah. The previous president did 150. Yeah. So I'm going to do 175. And yeah. now we're up into like some ridiculous amount.
0: Yeah. It's just crazy. And so that's why you're paying $5 a gallon for gas. And that's why milk costs three times as much as it ever cost before in your life. Yes. there's a direct correlation to this, why? Because our faith is in people. It's not in the constitution anymore. And we're not no longer, uh, 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 a society driven by laws and the constitution was designed to limit the power of people in order that the people could solve their problems and that tends to force us. To get along with each other, because you need me and I need you to solve this problem. Right. You know? But now what has happened is we have uh said, well, I'm just gonna root for my team and they can win at all cost. And then we walk away thinking, aha, I won! I'm the ruler of the universe. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, we got a game next week. Right. And what happens when you lose? And what happens is this just it bifurcates the society. You see, it pulls it, it pushes people are no longer in the middle. The middle gets smaller and smaller. People are being pulled and pushed and manipulated to the extremes Mm. and that's not good for society because everybody becomes suspect of everyone else. And so I think, you know, that's, that's because we've put our faith in individuals and not the constitution.
1: Right. So let's talk about our next segment. I mean, really this comes down to basically values, right? We we've gotten into a situation where we're basically fighting over ideas and the ideas don't necessarily have any value base to them. It's, oh, they said this thing and it sounds good to me. Like I don't, I have student debt. I'm all about not having to pay (laughs) back money every month. I would love to have that. And so the idea is great in theory, but then we go back. And look at the values and look at what it's really going to cause. And then you start going, okay, well maybe this idea isn't as good as it sounds right
0: now. Yeah. So, well, and that's just the issue is that, you know, in, in regards to that specifically is that most politics now are emotional appeals. And because people haven't been trained in economics, they, you know, they go, well, in principle, it's not good to give this away, but I have $50,000 in student debt. And if they're going to wipe off 20 grand, you know, that's pretty sweet. So this one time I'll just let it slide. Right. And then, but what you don't realize because no one's been trained in economics is that inflation is 100% caused by Washington, D.C. Yeah. It's 100%. And what it is, is it is a tax. It is a hidden tax. And so what happens is by pouring that money into the economy, you have inflation eight to 10 to 11% of inflation. And so that basically means that $1 for you 18 months ago today is worth 88 cents. Right. And so what happens is you, so you say, well, that person who says, well, they're, they're just going to let me pay less. Guess what happens? You end up paying more. So you're paying more because inflation goes up, the cost of goods get more expensive. And so, wow, I got $10,000 off of my student debt, but guess what? I pay double for gas. I pay triple for eggs and meat and food that I have to have when you, when you're going to heat your home, like especially on the East coast, when they have to go buy heating oil to heat their homes. Yeah. That's going to be a shock of shocks. And so what's going to end up happening? I got $10,000 off my student loan, but now everybody across the, board is going to be paying an extra two to $3,000 a year due to inflation. And, and then, oh, and that we, never goes back I was down. Gonna
1: say We've never seen that. We've never seen cost of living really regress yeah. after an inflation.
0: It's, so do the math in 10 years, if you're paying an extra $2,000 a year because of inflation in 10 years, you paid 20 grand to get $10,000 off your student loans. You know, now, is that an exact one-to-one correlation? No, but it's, there's definitely a causal effect. So the most important thing we got to do to understand this is clarify our values. When you clarify your values, you know, what you believe, why you believe it, your frame of reference, it makes decisions quicker and easier. You know, for instance, could you, do you have to go through all the economics to understand that principle? Well, you could. But what if you don't know anything about economics and what do you, you know of all that? What, what if you just have a basic value of integrity and honesty and say, I took out that loan. I don't expect anybody else to pay it back. Mm. I took it out. It's my responsibility. Right. That's a basic core value, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But now what people are saying, well, it, it, I want the government to take my responsibility away. When is it ever good for your government to take over your responsibility for your life? Well, and it's the, it's the same
1: values we've been seeing or the same philosophy of, I can never, I should never be held accountable for myself, like my suffering, my happiness, everything about my life is influenced by other groups of people around me, either positively or negatively, which Uh is where we see the CRT and all these different things happening. Right. And so this is just an additional step in that direction of, well, I took this money, but I shouldn't be held responsible for having to pay it back. The government should do it for me. It's not my fault that I had to go to school. It's the government's fault, fault, I guess. I don't know. They made me sign up. Yeah, they made me. (laughs) And so it's like, it's again, it's another step in that same ideology that we've been talking about where it's Mm -hmm. like, it's no longer my, my responsibility to be responsible for myself. It's somebody else's. Yeah.
0: And then you get influenced by that. The Bible and Proverbs, it says that the borrow is servant to the lender. So when you're borrowing from the government you're taking this stuff from the government, then when the government speaks or says something, right, mm-hmm. it influences your thinking and core values. And so. Um, if you clarify your values ahead of time, it keeps you out of trouble. Number one, but number two, it makes it extremely difficult for people to manipulate you based on emotions in Ephesians chapter four with verse 12. It talks about that. Paul says these people are leaders in the church designed to verse 12, equip you for works of ministry or service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. So see what he's saying is we have to have a knowledge clarifying your values is a head activity, right? And then he goes on to say, we must become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. Mm. and then listen to what he says. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the, by the cunning and craftiness of people, of people in their deceitful scheming. Okay. So we are no longer influenced by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth in love, right? Mm-hmm. We all grow to become every aspect, the mature body of Jesus, who is the head. So today I think this is really important because we can apply it. People today are, uh, wondering, well, is our public school system really adopting lots of gender ideology? Is this really going on? I mean, how much is actually happening in my public school, uh, where kids are being, you know, Uh, taught gender stuff and queer things. And so there's a lot of questions out there. And I think it's really important to understand that the answer to that question is, yes, it is. Okay. It's going on at an alarming rate. Is it going on in your, in your local school? I don't know, but I can tell you, you know, here in Virginia, You know, here's an article about in Virginia uh, before, when it was uh, Attorney General Mark Herring, who was uh, voted out, is that they had a Virginia Values Act, SB 868, okay? And... Talks about it there uh, here in Nebraska governor. The governor warns parents that proposed sex ed's curriculum being proposed for the state of Nebraska will teach LGBT ideology from kindergarten to 12th grade. Here is one, uh, another article about it happening in uh, this is California. This one is happening <laughs> now. Don't no surprise there. Here's one that's happening in Chicago. It's called equity week, and it's all about LGBTQ related teaching materials, gain tremendous momentum in the school systems here in Houston, Texas. Uh, they they're, they're teaching it and they took a bunch of kids to the local, uh, Houston public library and that was there for drag queen reading a story hour. Well, it turns out that the drag queen that was reading story, was charged with, he was a registered sex offender and he was reading kids books mm-hmm. to kids. Uh, Wisconsin. Here you go. Here's another one. It's happening in Wisconsin. Here's another one. It's happening in, uh, this is Diversity Day. It's happening in the Gorham Middle School. Uh, I've got so many of these things out here, I can't even read them all, you know. Here's one for LA. Uh, Here's one for Portland. Uh, This is indoctrinating students to become LGBTQ activists in kindergarten through fifth grade. That's your elementary school. Vermont, they found out there's a lot of uh, sexual indoctrination happening in most Vermont elementary schools. Uh, this one is uh, teaching uh, homosexuality techniques for children and in Northern California. Here's one in Florida, Florida school district suggests hiding transgender identity from parents so that parents are not, here's one. This is called the, uh, oh, I can't even get the article here. It is the GA Stetson middle school. I believe this is in Massachusetts that's going on. And so there is a, a LGBTQ curriculum, uh, on pride day at the school, in the middle school. They Asked all the boys to wear dresses to school in support of it. Here is um in Idaho. I mean, this is kind of hard to hear, but even in Idaho where we are from, there's been some stuff going on. I don't know if you know this, but in Coeur d'Alene in the North Idaho Pride Allowances Pride in the Park celebration that they had up there, what they what they uh is now they're being reported, they did have a drag queen for a kid's drag queen. Hour, They, it was a family friendly event and a drag queen was up there on stage and he wasn't wearing any underwear and he lifted his skirt and exposed his genitals to the entire crowd. They even have pictures of it. Now you can go and see that. Mm. I mean, that, that doesn't seems like a good thing to me. And so I think it's something that we should be concerned about, uh, and take note. And the question is, well, how in the world did we get here? I mean, how did we get from there to this? This just seems really interesting to me. And well, the reason we got here is it happened in 2012 to 2016 in the same sex marriage argument. You see arguments matter, values matter. And the argument basically went like this. Love is love. Who disagrees with that? Do you disagree with that? No, I don't. Love is love, right? Okay, love is good. Since people are born this way, telling same-sex couples that they can't do what you do as a heterosexual couple is discrimination. Okay, when you first hear that, you go, okay, I think that's true. They're being allowed, they're not being allowed to do something that I do based on something that happens from birth, right? That's their argument. I'm not saying I agree with it. Okay? Well, So they said, we need marriage equality. Who's for equality. Are you for equality? Everybody's for equality. Everybody's for equality. When it comes to marriage, do you want marriage equality? It sounds pretty good to me. I don't know if it sounds good to you, but that sounds good thing to me. Yeah. I want marriages to be equal. Yeah. Okay. Um, in a sense you think emotionally I'm engaged in this and no one ever stops and asks a question, am I being manipulated? Because what happened is in reality. Same sex attracted couples already had the exact same rights as you. There was no marriage inequality. There was no marriage inequality. They had the exact same right as you and everybody else in America did. What they did is they redefined what marriage was. Mm. And so before that, everybody had the exact same, right? In other words, you had a right to get married. Are you married? No. Okay, so even though you're not married, you had a right to get married, Correct. okay? If you were a person attracted to somebody of the same sex, you had the same right. I can get married just like everybody else, it's equal. It's just I have to marry somebody of the opposite sex. And there's reasons why that is true because marriage is between a man and a woman, right? That's mm-hmm. what it was for 10,000 years of recorded human History. So what happened is what they were doing is they were saying, no, because I am attracted to somebody, the same sex I want to create between us in order to validate this and Andrew Sullivan, who's a thought leader. He's also a leading homosexual activist. Um, he said that I will, I cannot, my lifestyle cannot be validated until the government recognizes my right to marry. So he made that argument. So, but what they did is they asked for a special, right? Not an equal, right? This is the same thing as somebody born and raised in England. Do you know what side of the road they drive on in England? The left side. They, yeah, well we drive on the right right side, they They drive drive on on the the left left side. side. So this person moves to America and they say, my preference is to drive on the left side. So I want you to make a a law that says I want the right to drive on the left side. Mm. So what would happen if you had people whose that was their preference driving on the left side of the road. When majority of people are driving on the right side of the road, what does it create chaos and collisions (laughs) that, and that's exactly what's happening now. But more than that, what people don't realize is that. The argument went on to say that same sex marriage would not have any implication on any heterosexual marriage. In other words, why is it what I want to do in the privacy of my life affect you and your marriage in any way, shape or form? So it was passed in the Obersfeld decision. Justice Kennedy wrote the opinion. And what happened is that that became the legal basis for the national sex education curriculum which includes all of this radical gender identity. It is written for the purpose of accepting all queer, bisexual, homosexual behavior, and it is based upon the legal right to do. This is based upon the same sex marriage decisions. So in essence, they argued for a special right. The Supreme court created this right out of thin air. And the implication was anti discrimination cases against flower shops, bakers, wedding event centers, caterers, et cetera. right? The issue wasn't, can I get flowers for my same sex marriage ceremony? You know, you can, there's tons of them out there, but I'm going to go after that one because they're discriminating against me. So what it became is it became a club, a fascist club to impose their values on everybody else. And it started to win initially, okay? And it started to gain ground as a legal precedent. That is what became the basis for the sexual education standards. And if you notice, if you go to the national sexual education standards put out by our federal government right there on the introduction, it says the goal of these standards is, and I quote, ground the educational experience in social justice and equity, honoring the diverse of students, racial, ethnic, gender, orientation, ability, socioeconomic, as well as academic, and promote awareness, understanding, and appreciation of diversity and inclusion. So these are the national standards sent out to every school system. According to them, 50% of all school districts, not quite 50% of all school districts have adopted their recommendations. And right there, it says that our goal is to honor the diversity their sexual orientation as and everything else their gender orientation and that's the basis for why they're teaching these curriculums in your elementary school this is the legal foundation for it and if you oppose it then you're considered a person who is phobic you're genderphobic homophobic transphobic you are a bigot you are a discriminatory narrow-minded person Where did, how did we get here so quickly? It goes back to the Supreme court decision, Obersfell, which created the legal foundation for all of this to occur. And that's how we went from there in 2015, seven years later now to where they want to teach your kindergartner gen that they have any gender identity that they can think up.
1: So, I mean, something that my current generation is really struggling to see the connection between is sexual freedom expressed in these things like same sex attraction Mm -hmm. and how that has potentially flowed down into sexualizing children. That's not a, that is not a connection that my generation specifically really wants to engage with or talk about. They say, nope, they're unrelated. And what sexualization of children, they're fine. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's important to understand is that in the doctrine wrong coercion. If I sit down and I talk to a person who might be struggling with same sex attraction, or they might be, uh, dealing with, you know, I mean, I've sat down with, with people who are dealing with attractions to people outside of their marriage, I've talked to people who don't want to get married, but want to be sexually active with people all the time. I, I see. I don't see any difference between those. They're all related to the sexual drive. Right. Right. And so I have conversations with them. I'm I'm like, I'm not here to force you. I can't tell you anything, but let's dig into the real reasons why God is instructed this It has to do with your identity and where your significance comes from, and we have these deep spiritual conversations and I want those to continue. And so I see, I understand why your generation is open to that, Um, but part of the reason why your generation is open to that, in my opinion, is because you have these people with these radical ideologies trying to use emotional arguments to manipulate your generation to believe certain things. And that is, well, if you don't agree with their position, then you're discriminating and your generation is very concerned about being labeled someone who is homophobic or discriminatory. You know, you've been convinced that every bad thing that, ever has ever happened to a person who deals with same sex attraction happened and is a result of them being stigmatized by Christians or society. Mm. That's just not true. The facts don't say that the research doesn't say that. However, that's, that's the buy-in. But what's happening is my generation, which is where a lot of the fight for same uh, for what they would call homosexual rights started, people my age are starting to see the connection. And I want to show you a video of this gal. She's a lesbian and she fought, she was an activist fighting for gay rights. And she sees the connection and notice what she says.
1: So here it is, the most unpopular opinion I'll ever do. I hope you guys duet and stitch and save or whatever you need to do to this because it's going to get down fast. If I would have understood when I was younger that fighting for my rights as a lesbian would mean allowing children to drag shows, attaching child molesters, to our community and allowing children to change their sex before they even know what their favorite color is. I would have never done it. Never.
0: Well, there you go. That's pretty powerful stuff when people are starting to draw the connections. Mm. And, and so I think that that's something we need to do and uh, realize that where we're at now in that's because we haven't clarified what our real values are and because we haven't done that, we've uh, so many people who consider themselves Christians have been manipulated by the world. And so, and that's we're here now. And so we've got to figure out a way, uh, a course out of this. And how do we do that? How do we chart a course and we take some pretty difficult stands against this type of behavior. Well, we partner with people like this, who's a lesbian. I call it We're we could be co belligerents in this, right? (laughs) Uh, uh, boy, I agree with you, you know, um, let us partner together to get this as a consenting adult, I don't want to control your life, right? I, I I want you to discover God. I can't make you, I can't force you. You got to do it on your own. I pray for your journey. I will answer your questions as much as possible. I'm not going to hate you. You shouldn't hate me. And my opinion today is that almost all the hate is coming from the, you better affirm what we want to do no matter what. That's where most of the hate is coming from. I don't see it coming from the church. Every once in a while you find a -a wackadoodle on YouTube, but I mean, that is so rare. All sides have extremes. Yeah, there's. But it's, but it's, it's so, it's so rare. I don't know of any church right now that would say, Hey, you're welcome here. We're not going to affirm it, but you're welcome here. And you're going to be treated like a normal person. Cause we don't see that as who you are. We see you as a person, uh, as a human being, mm-hmm. and that's, what's important to us. So I, I think we got to figure out a way to chart ourselves out of this and it's going to be tough and it's going to be difficult. It, it's, but we have to be courageous and do it
1: absolutely well thank you so much pastor for sharing all this with us um i know we probably could have gone another 10 15 minutes just talking about more things that you want to do and maybe that's something we can pick up on next week and just kind of finishing up some of these thoughts you had but i know that this has given me pause for thought on some of the things and how something that seemed so innocuous can very rapidly be taken up and then used to go to an extreme length. So we just need to be thinking about those things as we're making choices, whether it's student loans or something else, you have to really think it through, critically think all the way to the end position of where could this go and Mm -hmm. how could it be, and am I okay with those outcomes? So, Mm -hmm. um, we appreciate you guys. We hope you're having those same discussions, those same thoughts about where certain things are going on in politics and where they could go and how your involvement as an individual can influence these things and needs to, so thank Thank you guys so much for joining us. Join us on Sunday as Pastor Doug yes. takes some more thoughts of these things of what our mission is as an individual mm-hmm. um, in politics and kind of wraps them up in those biblical terms and shows us the way forward. Thank you guys so much for joining <laughs> us, and we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church.
0: Blessings.